The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week, we bring you interviews, market analysis, and we break down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. As Coinbase gears up for its direct listing this week, today we're doing a deep dive on what it means for the crypto investors and the ETF community. Plus, we'll discuss what's driving the surge in the best-performing ETF asset class of the year. You know what it is? Yeah, it's pot, cannabis. Who, who would have thought? Here's my conversation with Matt Hogan, CIO of Bitwise Asset Management. Christian Magoon is the CEO of Amplify ETFs. And Tim Seymour of Seymour Asset Management. Matt, uh, you have told me several times uh, Coinbase is the asset the crypto community has been waiting for, but it seems like it might be one that other communities, the broader community, are waiting for. Why is this such a big deal? Can you explain it to us? Sure. It's such a big deal because it's the first large cap pure play crypto equity in the U.S. markets or in any markets. I mean, we're talking about a company with a valuation between 50 and $100 billion. You and I have talked about this, Bob. That makes it bigger than NASDAQ. It makes it bigger than the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange. And the growth is so phenomenal that you can't ignore it. This is a company that 10x earnings on a year-over-year basis. You just don't see this kind of growth from large-cap equities. And every investor, not just crypto investors, are going to have to reckon with that growth, think about where it's going, and decide if it belongs in a portfolio. And that just makes it a game-changer for, for where crypto exists in the total capital market spectrum. Yeah, you know, Christian, um, what about you? You've got the probably the, the, the one, I consider it the one uh, crypto ETF that actually tries to be really crypto. You actually own assets that appear to be, you know, crypto related. You own Novogratz, uh, Galaxy Holdings Fund. Uh, but Block, are you going to be a buyer immediately of, uh, of, uh, of, of Coinbase? Ex explain how this is going to impact the ETF community. Yeah, so Block is an active ETF, so we'll be able to own Coinbase uh, on Wednesday, and uh, I expect we will. Uh, about 27% of the portfolio right now of Block owns companies that are involved in blockchain and cryptocurrency infrastructure. So these are payment companies, uh, custodians, exchanges, and to Matt Haugen's point, yeah, you know we we own a variety of companies like Voyeur Digital, Silvergate, Diginex, but these are small to mid cap companies. Coinbase would be the first kind of large cap company, so it's pretty exciting. We also think there's going to be other ETFs that'll own this uh, own Coinbase. Kathy Wood and Arc are likely to own it in their fintech ETF as well as their innovation ETF. There's some IPO ETFs out there. There's some other blockchain ETFs and a variety of filings of new funds coming to market in the next month or two that'll be crypto sensitive. So it'll be a big deal in the ETF space. You know, Tim, I, I just do not understand valuations here. I've never seen <laughs> a, a nine times valuation spread here. I've seen numbers at 23 billion to value Coinbase. I saw 50. I saw 100. I saw somebody at two. How is it possible that we can't even get within nine times of the valuation of the company? And as Matt pointed out, NASDAQ's $25 billion. If it goes at 50, it's twice NASDAQ. The ICE, which owns NYSE, is $65 billion. I mean, come on. This is like mind-blowing numbers here. Try to make sense of this for us. Yeah. 
Well, I'm not sure I can, but I think if you look at the profitability, first of all, of Coinbase and where they've come in, even on the estimates on their first quarter numbers relative to where they were all of last year. I mean, you're talking about two and a half times in the first quarter uh, on profitability at a time when we've seen IPOs that have been far from profitable tech companies. So um, obviously this is a, a frontier that uh, the multiples on what people are willing to pay don't make sense. Uh, what, what is the imputed multiple on Square or, or other companies that have uh, talked about you know, being able to, to you know, do Bitcoin transactions and crypto transactions? Um, we can name all the companies that have, have had significant market cap increases here. So. Um, I, look, it's it's exciting. It's exciting to have that pure play. I think that really is the point. And and where where it settles in is going to be, you know, also another issue. I mean, think about the move we've had in the underlying currencies, especially you know outside of Bitcoin and even in the broader uh, digital token landscape. Uh, all of the focus on NFTs, and, and you get you get the perfect storm here for this valuation, which is all over the map. A good analogy here to an IPO that some of us may remember from 2012, which is the Facebook IPO. That came to market at a $100 billion valuation. People said the valuation was absurd. People didn't trust it because it was kids dressed in hoodies serving a new audience that they weren't familiar with. That's the same thing here. This is a giant company that's churning out real revenue and real profits, right? $800 million in profits in the first quarter alone is the estimate. So I think those valuations may not be as absurd as people think. It's just people aren't comfortable with this corner of the economy in the same way they weren't comfortable with Facebook back in 2012. And Bob, uh, one yeah, thing to still, keep still, an eye on too is is ICE. ICE has kind of some phantom. The NYC has some phantom participation in this area. VPC Impact Acquisition Holdings ticker VIH. That's a SPAC that's going to merge with Bact Holdings, B-A-K-T Holdings. And that is essentially ICE's digital asset marketplace. So that's going to happen this quarter. So the NYC, via their ICE ownership and founding of BACT, will be in this game as well. So look for some of these right. other companies that maybe haven't gotten the attention to maybe get some follow-on yeah. benefits from the Coinbase listing. Well, 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 that's going to be good news, isn't it, Matt? I mean, I, first off, there's really an exchange. They make, they make their money by acting like, you know, exchange and charging a VIG for it. The, the VIG is pretty high, as far as I can see. It's pretty amazing. I think the NYSE would love to have this kind of VIG. Uh, yeah. As they get competition, Matt, isn't it reasonable to assume the VIG is going to go down, or am I kidding myself? No, it's definitely going to go down, Bob. No question it's going to go down. But the thing that's going to go up is the size of the audience that it's serving. Look, most traditional investors are still on the sidelines of crypto. They're still afraid of it. The first place, one of the first places they're going to turn as they start to reckon with this is Coinbase. It's the most trusted brand. It's the largest company. It's the most established. It's been running for nearly a decade. Uh, so, yes, the, the profit margins are going to go down. The costs are going to go down significantly, particularly for Bitcoin. Maybe not for the other assets, but particularly for Bitcoin. But people are underselling how much broader the audience could be. And I think that's, that's the flip side, the yin and the yang to this equation. Right. So will this create new companies, new ETFs? I mean, the problem in the past with crypto has had the same problem with pot and, and the same problem with space. There's been a, a lack of investable assets, particularly a, a lack of reasonably large investable assets. Now you have a, a, a company with a valuation, pick a valuation, $50 billion uh, that comes in that's huge. Uh, it's magnitudes of order bigger than anything else. Um, and... Uh, Christian, describe what that's going to do for the ecosystem. Will we see new ETFs built around it? Will we see a rush of new, smaller, 
uh, cryptocurrencies come in as a result of this? Obviously, it depends on how successful it is. We're assuming it's going to be successful. But what, what, what's the knock-on effect here? Yeah, so for, I think for capital markets, we're going to see more private companies go public because they see the path, hopefully, that Coinbase takes that recognizes uh, the value in the public marketplace. On the ETF side, I think there's at least four other ETFs that have been filed in the last month and a half that are going to focus on crypto and blockchain uh, uh, sensitive companies. That's what we do at Block, third best performing ETF of the year, over a billion dollars in five star rated. So, you know, we've been there, but there will be others that will take this approach and there'll be different methodologies, weighting schemes, active index. So, yeah. I think this will be a new asset class in the ETF space that will be built out beyond the two or three funds that exist today. Yeah, and I just hey, want Bob, to point yeah, out, folks, I also want... uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to simply say, because you also referenced the, this institutional dynamic and the investability of an asset class that, that both Matt and Christian have, have really emphasized. You know, the, the, the wall of money um, that's going to come in behind this or the, the institutional investability is really the issue. And you, you mentioned other asset classes. I know we're going to talk about uh, cannabis in, in a bit, but, but that's really the dynamic here. Think of the institutions. And, and I know there's been a lot of discussion about um, if, if, you know, corporate treasury put, you know, 2% of their assets into into digital uh, tokens and, and digital assets, what that would mean. But, uh, you know, that is really, I think, the dynamic and why so much attention and so much, you know, I think intrinsic value is being applied to Coinbase. Yeah. Uh, Christian, I just want to point out to make sure the viewers understand how big this is. If we could put back up uh, your 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 main holdings. So, for example, I mean, and I laud you, you made an effort to really go out and, and, and buy true companies, not companies that are very peripherally related to it. But uh, Voyager Digital, for example, you own five percent of your holdings. Uh, Galaxy Digital, that's Michael Novogratz's uh, company. MicroStrategy, that, that's a software company, but it's essentially becoming a Bitcoin company. My point is there's not, and there's Voyager too, uh, Marathon Digital, Hive Blockchain. There's not a lot to buy. I mean, Novogratz's company, uh, Galaxy Digital, um, Christian, is what, $3 billion? It's It's tiny compared to... Uh, to Coinbase that may be, um, again, picking a number here, $50, $50 billion. So I laud you for your efforts to own stuff. There's just not a lot to own. That's why this thing is so extraordinary, right? Yeah, we think so. I mean, we thought there could be a pure play when we started this about three and a half years ago. It's gotten purer and purer. And now the, the really the opportunity, I think, could be with the Coinbase uh, direct listing and then uh, really the analysis of Coinbase valuation, there could be a revaluation for this whole segment higher uh, when you see some of the uh, numbers that come from Coinbase, you know, if Coinbase is valued between 50 and 100 million, what are some of these other, you know, exchanges, whether that's a, a Diginex or a Voyager digital worth, should they be revalued? Yeah. And I think that's the opportunity beyond just a larger uh, group of investors adopting cryptocurrency and, and blockchain technology in general. Matt, I got to ask you the eternal question. Uh, does this improve at all the chances for a Bitcoin ETF this year? And, and what, if anything, will? You and I have talked in the past. Is, there's a little bit of a political change in Washington. We have Gary Gensler now. Uh, I'm going to ask you, does Gensler being there improve the chances of a Bitcoin ETF, number one? And number two, the SEC laid out a very clear set of problems they had in rejecting prior Bitcoins, including the Winklevoss uh, application, twice. Uh, they rejected it. And they basically came out and made it very clear. We are concerned with fraud. We are concerned with custody issues. We are concerned about the fact that a lot of it trades overseas where we can't control any of it. H has there been any move towards curing those 
those defects, aside from the political change, are we any closer in addressing the SEC's issues? Yeah, we're absolutely closer, Bob. Whether we're all the way there or not, I don't know, but we're absolutely closer. Look, when the Winklevoss first filed for a Bitcoin ETF back in like 2013, there were no institutional regulated custodians. Arbitrage spreads were all over the place. The CME Bitcoin futures market didn't exist. There weren't crypto funds that had gone through audit. The crypto industry, and we've been talking about this on the show, has gone through this massive institutional maturation. Every aspect of it has, it imp has improved significantly over the past five years, over the past three years, and over the past year. Coinbase going public is just another part of that narrative. So absolutely, we're getting closer to a Bitcoin ETF. I continue to think it's a matter of when and not if, but we're not all the way there yet. The SEC has been asking good questions and companies like Bitwise and others have been working to address those. But I, I do think we're getting closer, Bob, I really do. So just to highlight this, the, the, uh, I believe the SEC acknowledged the Van Eck uh, application uh, a couple of weeks ago. They've acknowledged, uh, I think, Wisdom Trees as well just the other day. So uh, I think they have 45 days to accept, reject or kick the ball down the road. Uh, my understanding is that they've always had up to 240 days once they acknowledge it. Is that correct, Matt? So, so potentially they could kick the can down the road for a, a while now. But your, your point is, regardless, you think it's much more likely this year. What about Gensler? You didn't answer that question. Is, is, everybody seems to think Gensler is more sympathetic. It, well, what's is great that, about are you in that camp, too? And that well, what, what we know about Gensler is we know he's an expert on the space, right? He's taught a class, class at MIT on Bitcoin and blockchain. And all Bitcoin and crypto companies like Bitwise are looking for is a fair evaluation on the exact facts and circumstances of the market that exists today. So it's it's great that he's an expert, but really the questions that the SEC has asked over the last handful of years have been fair questions, and it's been the responsibility of companies to answer those. Like I said, fortunately, the market has matured rapidly that I think we have much better answers today than we did in the past. Does, does Gensler coming in help? I think it helps in that it's a new administration, a new fresh set of priorities, and that he's an expert on the space. But I don't think there's any magic sauce. The market has to be good enough, has to be institutional enough, has to be mature enough to support an ETF before the SEC green lights one. But the good news is I, I do think we're closer to that point today than we were in the past. And I, I really think we're getting there. Yeah. Um, I, I want to move on and talk a little bit about uh, pot ETFs because we got uh, Tim here. Uh, Tim, uh, pass me uh, the ETFs, dude. I was quite impressed. I look at the, um, <laughs> the, the rankings of ETFs and how they're doing for the year. You know, I, I look at the end of the first quarter. I do the usual thing. I go and open my 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 uh, my file and look at the best performing ETFs, and they're all pot ETFs. Those of you who don't know, by the way, uh, Tim Seymour is all in on this space. Uh, He's long a number of names. He's the portfolio manager of a cannabis ETF. He also sits on advisory boards for cannabis companies. And uh, for all Tim disclosures, go to fast.cnbc.com. I had to say that, Tim. Just, they're telling me to say that. About, There's a lot about to the say there. Thing. There's but a lot to Tim's say, Tim's a real Thank expert. You. I know. Tim's an expert on this space, so we wanted to get him in. And I was I, – I, honestly, I was quite surprised that not just your uh, CNBS, but uh, the – the whole, a number of your competitors were among the most, uh, the best performing, uh, 50, 60 percent on well, the year so far. 
can you sort of bring us up to date? Uh, assume we're not experts on, on the, yeah. the pot business. And you see that spike in February, by the way. I want you to explain that, uh, of what happened with all the cannabis. Sure. Uh, so bring us up to date on where we are on this. Yeah, so, so again, it, you just hit it. We'll call it cannabis. I don't mean to be... Uh, 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 pedantic here, but no, like the point is that the cannabis industry, you know, as we talked about crypto and we talked about the digital you know, token world and the evolution of an asset class, very similar dynamics in very different asset classes. But, but you're talking about uh, dynamics that have a lot to do with a macro legislative pathway for an asset class that allows it to be investable by uh, traditional institutional investors and maybe in some cases well uh, owned by retail in advance of that. So um, that's been the dynamic for cannabis investing for the last five years. And as, as you pointed out, I've been investing in the space for a long time and I'm an emerging markets guy in my past uh, investment history. So this is uh, similar stuff. You know, you asked about what happened in February that really led to this spike that's put a lot of the assets higher this year. And I think it's really two things. And a lot of this actually started in, in early January and some of it, maybe the seeds were sown in, in the November elections in, in, in Washington. But ultimately, the legislative path uh, on Jan 6th, when we woke up in the Georgia uh, runoff, uh, essentially you know, designated a, a blue majority in the Senate. And that, that was... You know, that was a signal for significant asset flows into the into the space just because the sense was that the legislative pathway for cannabis legalization would happen quickly. What does it really mean? Ultimately, again, uh, institutions being able to invest in the sector, exchanges being able to list companies. Uh, and so while the, the, the north of the border trade, you know, five years ago or four years ago or three years ago was uh, seemingly more interesting, uh, investing in U.S. companies and, and investing in the U.S. marketplace is it's the biggest marketplace in the world. So, um, you know, that was really the, the movement in the asset class. And then you've had earnings profiles from companies all around the space that really uh, in the first quarter you started to see those announced and they were based upon fourth quarter numbers and 2020 numbers for cannabis coming out of COVID. Again, the profitability for the sector is the other dynamic here. Um, so our ETF is it's active. Yeah. And, and again, I think that's critical in a sector that's constantly moving. And I think that, the, you know, the, the performance is a function of being active and being able to open and, and own all, all sides of the industry. You've got an, a, a home run here, Christian. Uh, not only are we talking about the uh, Amplify Transformational Data uh, Sharing ETF, BLOK, but we're talking about the Amplify uh, Seymour Cannabis uh, ETF. You're doing pretty darn well for yourself. And your iBuy, your retail uh, ETF as a thematic tech ETF, has, has done spectacular uh, this year. Uh, you got anything else up your sleeve for uh, 2021? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's been people like Tim uh, and, and frankly, the Toroso team and, and Block performing well. Um, it, we've been really pleased to partner with them. Tim's been able to, you know, produce a, uh, produce some unbelievable alpha versus the competition this year and even last year. Um, and we, you know, I will say we just filed on Friday for the Amplify Cleaner Living ETF, ticker DTOX, D-T-O-X. So that'll be a product we'll launch uh, later this year. Uh, but we're really pleased to see Cannabis, CNBS by Tim, be the number two best-performing ETF coming into the market today. And Block is the number three best-performing ETF year-to-date. So really uh, blessed to have those and exciting uh, opportunities. We think there's some great possibilities for both funds going forward. Uh, well, hold on here. A, a, a clean living ETF? What, what, what exactly is going to be in the clean li- I love the <laughs> detox. The, I love that. Yeah, so what, what these exactly are, these is going to be in this? Be an index-based ETF. 
that focuses on companies in the building and infrastructure, health, beauty, food, dining, energy, and transportation area that are producing products that are better for the either environment or better for uh, the human body. So companies that are focused there, they have to have about 80% of their revenue in those spaces. So it's really kind of capitalizing on this trend that people want to live more uh, more cleanly uh, in terms of their footprint, in terms of their health, in terms of the environment. So um, we think that's a trend that's going to be uh, here to stay for quite a while. Yeah. We think companies that are pivoting to that uh, and have the majority of their revenue from that uh, have a chance to produce an alpha. Can't you just go the other way? I want to just see the amplified <laughs> go to hell ETF, the symbol <laughs> die now. How about let's just go the other way? Come on. Tim knows what I'm talking about. He's thinking exactly the same thing that I'm thinking for crying out loud, aren't you, Tim? Well, I, look, I mean, I'm clean living, this. detox, this. you know, lifestyle. <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting involved in this. I'm, I'm a supporter. I'm buying in. I need it all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're not taking the bait. All right, I tried to drag you in, Tim, there. You, you're, analyst, you're getting to be nope. very professional about this. It's very annoying. <laughs> now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand the ETF business. This is our Markets 102 portion of the podcast. Today we'll be continuing the conversation with Matt Hogan from Bitwise Asset Management. Matt, thanks for sticking around with us. I think the most interesting thing about this Coinbase thing is is what could happen uh, as a result of the whole uh, asset class building out a little bit. I want to focus more on sort of like uh, maybe you call the capital markets business side of this, the building a business to create and trade digital asset securities. Um, I'm talking about the, the whole ecosystem, the, the trading system, the custody system, the prime brokerage. Um, that still can be built out to a very significant extent, it seems to me. And I, it seems like Coinbase can be a part of that as well. Can you address that? Yeah, Coinbase is a huge part of that, but it's just the tip of the iceberg, Bob. Right behind Coinbase, there are a whole slew of other crypto-specific pure play companies that I think you'll see going public in the next year. And at the same time, I think you'll see traditional financial players moving into the crypto space aggressively. We saw Bank of New York move toward the Bitcoin space. It's now providing services to a number of Bitcoin funds, it's looking at Bitcoin custody and other services. You know, the oldest bank in America moving into crypto. So we're both going to get more pure play crypto companies going public at multi-billion dollar valuations and traditional financial companies moving into the space. It's part of the maturation of the asset class. It's going to be good for crypto prices. It's going to be good for investors. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. It's a little confusing, though, because we've got a lot of digital coins and digital assets. But if they're a security, they come under the securities laws here. And I'm, that's where I'm trying to figure out where does this kind of come down on either side of it. Uh, so maybe you want to sell a, a piece of a company, uh, I don't know, with rewards associated with it or something like mm -hmm. that. This has been an issue, you know, with coins in the past. What's a security and what's it not? Can you sort that out for us and where that's going to go? Yeah, it's, it's still an issue, Bob. I mean, we know a few coins that the SEC has made relatively clear based on their current understanding are not securities, things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, some of the largest coins in the market. But as you go further down the chain in the cryptocurrency space, there are real questions about a number of smaller coins. And if, if they get deemed to be securities, there's a lawsuit around Ripple, for instance, uh, that will severely disrupt their ability to trade on places like Coinbase. So that's something the crypto industry is working through. On the other side of it, as you mentioned, there's this movement 
to take traditional financial assets and allow them to trade and settle in a more efficient manner on blockchain-enabled solutions, right? And so there is a merging of these two together. Look, it's ridiculous. Stocks take two days to settle. That's absurd. One of the things that blockchain can do and is enable, enable stocks and other assets to settle you know, almost instantaneously. So there's the crypto industry dealing with the security question. There's the traditional financial industry wrestling with the fact that blockchains are so much faster than legacy solutions. And something interesting is going to happen in the middle. And I think it's going to significantly disrupt the finance industry in ways that people aren't yet fully anticipating. Yeah, um, just the, the the value for settlement to go to an instantaneous settlement, potentially. Uh, I also see it in real estate where we've had these uh, intermediaries for years, uh, not just brokers, uh, but uh, people who provide insurance uh, or uh, confirm that you've actually made a transaction. Um, that uh, could be disruptive rather easily uh, on top of that. And, of course, just sending money anywhere. Um, those are like three obvious things. Settlement. Um, uh, real estate transactions and uh, sending sending money seem very obvious uh, to me. Are there uh, is there progress being made, and are there other obvious applications? There, there's so much progress being made. I think people don't wrestle with it enough, Bob. Money is the slowest moving thing in today's economy. The fastest way to get ten thousand dollars to London is to hop on a plane with a suitcase of hundred dollar bills. That's ridiculous. People ask all these questions, and they're surprised. Bitcoin is up you know, 5,000% over the last couple of years. It's up 72 million percent. People wonder how that's possible. And the reason it's possible is not because it's this new internet money that fell from the sky. The reason it's possible is because blockchain and, and crypto asset enabled blockchains allows money to exist on the internet and to move like data or move like voice or move like sound. As an example, you can send a billion dollars on the Bitcoin blockchain and it'll settle in 10 minutes. I think it's inevitable that all financial goods are going to move into blockchain-enabled systems to facilitate settlement. I think it's absurd in today's day and age that we accept that it takes two days for stocks to settle, that we accept that when we pay our internet bill, it takes five days to get to Comcast. Blockchain distributed ledger technology is going to change all of that. Crypto is one example. Um, but I think people are underestimating how fast that can shift and how important that shift and that acceleration is. Uh, but it's really coming, Bob. It's coming at an incredible pace. Yeah. It confuses me about why there is such a fight about these digital coins and whether it's security or not. Could, without getting too in the weeds, can you explain why there is an issue, for example, with Ripple is potentially a security while Bitcoin is 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 not a security? What, what's, what are the issues with the way these coins are set up? Sure. Federal securities laws date to a debate over an orange grove in Florida in the 1920s, and now they're applying that to the crypto ecosystem. So perhaps it's not surprising that it doesn't fit exactly. Look, the key question on whether it's a security or whether it's a commodity is whether it's a sort of centrally organized good designed to gauge profit mostly by the work of others. And the issue with these new cryptocurrencies that aren't like Bitcoin is many of them aren't decentralized enough. There's still significant centralized holdings. And if there's significant centralized holdings and centralized control, it's more like a stock than it is a commodity. Bitcoin is decentralized. There's no single person or entity that's controlling it. So it's unlikely to be deemed a security. But you take a crypto asset where the founders still hold 70, 80, 90 percent, where they're still making most of the decisions, where they're still processing most of the transactions, that starts looking more 
like a security than Bitcoin does. And so the question is where all crypto assets lie on this spectrum. We're getting more and more regulatory clarity around it, but it would help the industry grow if we got even better new, you know, sort of bespoke rules for identifying this. And I think we're going to get there. We're making progress. But that's the that's the core debate. Yeah. But there will be digital assets uh, doing security trading. I mean, over, doesn't Overstock has a digital asset uh, security trading on on they have an they have an uh, uh, an automated uh, trading system, don't they? An ATS, yeah, yeah, um, that that trades. Absolutely, all this is already happening. It's just that that security uh, asset, security tokens, is a small market right now compared to the sort of uh, the commodity tokens like Bitcoin and Ethereum, but. There's already more than proof of concept that you can move securities over a blockchain and they settle much quicker than traditional securities. And there's a huge part of the market and significant venture capital funding and, and real technological progress uh, to make that a reality. And like I said, I think that shift is going to happen quickly. Look, you have companies like Paxos that are already settling stocks using blockchain in about half the speed or half the time of DTCC. Um, I don't think we have to assume yeah. that the current way of doing things will persist forever. You're already seeing crypto-enabled blockchains and, and other blockchains show that they can do this faster, cheaper, better. Um, and I, I think that wave is going to develop over the next couple of years. Um, the I know you don't want to wade into the valuation of Bitcoin debate, but we, we, I get this asked this question all the time about the valuation of Bitcoin. So let me ask you anyhow. Uh, so money is... It, can be a means of payment, number one, or can be a store of value. It seems difficult to call Bitcoin a means of payment right now, given its fluctuation. But mm -hmm. it, it, do you think we're making the progress as a store of value for Bitcoin? Yeah. I, and, and I also, Is it I, becoming I, I, more adapted as money? Oh, it's absolutely becoming adapted as a store of value. Look, Mass Mutual put $100 million of Bitcoin on its balance sheet. Tesla bought $1.5 billion. The reason they did that is because they were concerned about fiat currency and they wanted a non-sovereign store of value. And Bitcoin is better than gold at serving that purpose. Now, your point about it used, being used as a payment token, look, the way money evolves historically, it always starts as a store of value and it always has high volatility. Over time, that volatility constricts and you see more use in day-to-day -day activity. And I think that's what you'll see with Bitcoin. Volatility has come down a lot over the last 10 years. I know it's still very volatile, but it's a lot less volatile than it was five years ago or 10 years ago. You know, by the time my kids are older, it's gonna be boring as dirt. And at that point, it might be a good tool to use. Until that point, we'll start seeing it being used as a payment vehicle in edge cases, right? In niche areas where it's particularly useful. Um, but those niches will gradually expand over time. It's been remarkable. I absolutely think it's got a lock or near lock on being a digital version of gold. And that market alone is really significant. So I think we'll get to the money use case yeah. eventually. We're just not there yet. Okay. And last question here. I got to let you weigh in on the whole debate uh, about China, the development of the digital yuan over there. Uh, will, first off, how do you feel about a tethered dollar, tethered euro? I, I, I'm been a favor for years, and I'm surprised there hasn't been more progress on it, um, number one. And number two, um, what, did you make anything of Peter Thiel's comments about, you know, Bitcoin somehow being vaguely 
tied to China. I, I didn't quite understand the reasoning there that he was using on that particular point of view, but uh, I don't know if you want to weigh in on that. <laughs> Peter Thiel's a genius, but he takes absolute stands on issues that are nuanced. Bitcoin has a lot of mining activity in China, but it's not uh, a Chinese-controlled entity. It's decentralized around yeah. the world. It's sort of the people's money. So I don't think there's any validity to that. I think there's a lot of validity to being concerned about a digital yuan. I'm frustrated as an American citizen that the Fed has been slow to move on this because I think there is a real risk that digital-enabled sovereign currencies could threaten the dollar's role in the global economy. Look, if, if China or Europe gets to a digital currency first, that currency is going to be faster, it's going to settle faster, it's going to be better in most aspects than traditional currencies. And I just don't see why the U.S. would lag behind. Let's let's dominate this. Let's be first. Let's make our currency yeah. more efficient and what, faster. What's yeah. what's holding the U.S. back? I think it's headline risk. I think it's people not willing to um, sort of scared off by an anchored view on where Bitcoin came from. Look, Bitcoin and crypto and blockchain came from this sort of anarchic past, right? We remember Silk Road, we remember Mt. Gox, and people dismiss it and put it in that bucket. And it's just, it's evolved so much. I think regulators are just afraid of, of tackling and in, endorsing it. I'm not quite sure why we're willing to be second in this race. It, it just seems like a strategic mistake as a, as a, as a country. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we're gonna, we're gonna speed up. There's a big paper coming out of the Boston Fed this summer about a digital dollar. It's going to sort of set the agenda for where a digital dollar could go and how it could work. Um, but I, I struggle to understand why we're being so slow. Well, let me know when that, when, as soon as uh, you hear that coming out, um, we'll make sure we give a lot of, uh, of, of press to that. It's about time. And I thoroughly agree with you uh, that the U.S. should be a little more aggressive about this. Matt, I've taken up enough of your time. Always appreciate you're a big thinker in this space. So it's always great to get uh, your thoughts. Uh, Matt Hogan, everybody from Bitwise Asset Management, and thank you for joining us on the ETF Edge podcast. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.